What is up? What is up? What is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. Wednesday, August 25th, four days away from the official start of the 2021 college football season. Week zero games. We got Nebraska and Illinois as the marquee matchup of the weekend. Scott Frost coming into the season with a little bit of baggage on the back of his back. And then we've also got a new coach at the University of Illinois and Brett Bielema. Should be a really exciting Big Ten football matchup to kick off week zero of the 2021 college football season. I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the MitchDavisShow.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show. You can follow me on Twitter, MitchDavis underscore eight, Instagram at the Mitch Davis Show, and check out the website at the MitchDavisShow.com podcast. You can find that anywhere where you like to listen to your podcast by simply typing in the Mitch Davis Show. And that's it. That's as simple as that. Just type in the Mitch Davis Show and you'll be able to find the podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast as well and share it with your friends, your family, and all of the college sports nation. On today's podcast, I'm going to be joined by Jake Wimberly, Program Director for ESPN 1059, 106.3 The Fan, Afternoon Drive Host 3 to 6 there in Jackson, Mississippi, College Football Analytical Genius. This guy knows the numbers, crunches the numbers, and there is nobody better, analytically speaking, and also as a friend-wise, in the business than Jake Wimberly. He's also a Heisman voter, Maxwell voter. This dude knows his college football. You can listen to his radio shows and all the shows he produces there in Jackson, Mississippi. Before we get into the interview, I want to remind you to check out the social media sites, Mitch Davis underscore eight on Twitter, The Mitch Davis Show on Instagram, website, TheMitchDavisShow.com, podcasts, wherever you like to listen to your podcast by simply typing in the Mitch Davis Show. At this time, I would like to welcome Jake Wimberly to the Mitch Davis Show podcast. I am joined now by a good friend of mine, Jake Wimberly, program director for ESPN 105.9, 106.3 The Fan, an afternoon drive 3 to 6, owner of and founder of CFBHourglass.com. He's a college football analytical genius. Jake, welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. Mitch, I always appreciate your time, man. I hope everything's well. And everything's going good. We're, what, less than four days away from kickoff of the 2021 college football season. How's everything going down there in Jackson, Mississippi? You know, like everybody else, everybody's everybody's doing well. And I, I like the way you frame that up. A lot of people do not. That this is the opening weekend of college football. A lot of people don't give week zero any credence. Um, I'm glad that you did because I do. So, you know, we're just, uh, you know, ready to get some games going and, and you know we previewed i think enough and it's time to you know see see the football you know head off into the air and let's see what the uh, 2021 season season gives us before we talk a little bit about the uh, sip football as lane kiffin calls it i gotta ask you about the week zero matchup between nebraska and illinois what do you expect to see out of that matchup and how excited are you for that matchup you know, there's a lot of interesting storylines in Nebraska and Illinois. Uh, first off, you got to go with Scott Frost and everything that, that has, has transpired in Nebraska. New athletics director at Nebraska. Um, you know, Scott Frost under in Nebraska, the program under NCAA uh, scrutiny right now. You know, and, and there's so many layers to this thing. You know, what is the teeth like of the NCAA? We, we've seen all of the fallout with the NCAA and the NIL 
uh, stuff going on, everything that happened on Capitol Hill with the Supreme Court. Scott Frost, uh, on my analytics at CFBHourglass.com, which I use a three-year coaching metric, which is a moving sliding scale. He is the worst coach in, in Power 5 football right now on my metric. So this seems like, I don't want to call Scott Frost dead man walking, but this is an extremely pivotal year for Scott Frost being under the scrutiny of the NCAA. And, you know, Nebraska needing to, I don't think Nebraska is ever going to be back to where Nebraska was in the 80s or the 90s or the early 2000s. But it's very pivotal for Nebraska to, to get out, you know, and to win some football games. I've got Nebraska finishing around 6-6. Six and six. I don't know if that saves Scott Frost's job. With a new athletics director and everything going on, you would have to think under the NCAA, this smells a lot like Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee last year uh, when they made the change. But, you know, Brett Bielema, he's got his work cut out for him at Illinois. Uh, you know, there's just a talent deficiency there at Illinois. So, you know, by the numbers, you would think Nebraska would win the football game. But again, if Nebraska loses the football game, uh, this could be the, the beginning of the end for Scott Frost. It's definitely... Uh, you know, more on the line for Scott Frost than it is for Brett Bielema in, in week zero. When looking across the landscape of college football, obviously Texas, Oklahoma, we'll get into that. i got to ask you about this alliance with the ACC, uh, Big 12, Pac-12, Big 10. What are you hearing and what are your thoughts on this alliance between those? I'm, I'm really surprised that there is a quote-unquote alliance happening I know that they're supposed to have a, uh, and you know, depending on when, when people hear, hear your show, it, it might have already transpired, but, you know, an official announcement uh, as we move through Tuesday on what this is going to entail. And, you know, I did a piece, again, on my website about, you know, what the future of college sports might look like. I don't think anybody really knows, but it's interesting to me to see the ACC possibly, you know, jumping in bed with the Big Ten and the, and the, and the Pac-12. However, when you look at the power of the SEC now with Oklahoma and Texas coming in, this is all about dollars. This is all about money. And, you know, I, it, it, would, it would tell me that there is no negotiations going on with the ACC and the SEC, which I, I thought that that would probably happen. Remember last year we saw kind of the line in the sand between the SEC and the ACC and then the Pac-12 and, and the Big Ten. But it, it, I thought maybe that line would stay that's the same way because – the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they're going to stay together. There's the AAC affiliation, uh, the American Accredited, Accredited uh, Universities, or whatever the acronym stands for. And then you've got the Rose Bowl tie. But the ACC is is kind of the, you know, kind of the, you know, the one that kind of stings you. Like, what are they doing? So this is interesting. It's all about television dollars. Um, it'll be interesting to see if maybe they've got some sort of a scheduling deal worked out, maybe a future television deal worked out. It is interesting times nonetheless, and so it looks like this could be the SEC literally versus everybody else. So what happens to conferences like the American Athletic, who, let's let's face it, Americans got Cincinnati, Memphis, Houston, UCF. What happens to that conference now that those three have joined hands and formed that alliance? You know, I think the American, and I tell our listeners, and we've got, you know, Memphis fans down here, we've got, uh, you know, other fans that uh, have, have a, you know, a, a affiliations to teams in that conference so to speak so i think that they have positioned themselves well uh because of the teams that they have in that conference with the television markets that they have i i would think that regardless the american is going to be strong it's going to be fine I, I i look at other conferences like you know the mac and the mountain west and conference usa and the Sun Belt. what happens to those teams i i really think it depends on what happens with the southeastern conference is the Southeastern Conference really going to try to 
be a conference all of its, of its own and do its own thing? Or, or what does the college football playoffs look like? So, but to answer your question, there's, there's so many things left unsaid so far and things we don't know, but I think the American is probably going to be fine. They position themselves, like you said, with great teams like Cincinnati, Memphis, and SMU and, and Central Florida, and plus they're in good TV markets. So there's value to the to the conference from a uh, dollars and cents and television standpoint. And, and when you're there, I think you're going to be fine. It's just where are you in the pecking order? We don't know that yet. Looking over at the uh, Southeastern Conference right now, obviously they added Texas and Oklahoma. What are your thoughts on that move? And in five years, two years, three years, where do you see this conference going? You know, from a, I mean, if you're going to go out and you're going to grab, you know, heavy hitters, uh, the Southeastern Conference went and got, the, you know, the two that are out there, Texas and Oklahoma. And, and that's from a dollars and cents again standpoint. And I'm going to say that over and over again because I think that matters the most. The SEC now reaches into Oklahoma and, you know, that part of the country. It totally has the Texas market now with, with you know, from a television standpoint, from Texas and Texas A&M. There's a ton of money, we know that, uh, inside the, the conference. So I think it's a it's it's a great move for the conference, and there's only one big fish left out there, and that's Notre Dame. What does Notre Dame do? Do they try to hold on to their independent status? They've got the NBC deal for television, uh, or do they ultimately move into the Big Ten or the ACC? But I think for the conference, you know, as far as the conference is fine, you know standing, I think the conference is going to be fine. I think Greg Sankey has decided that hey, we're going to make this thing uh, our own, and I think in, in you know five to six years, you're going to see the SEC continue to lead. Uh, because that's what they've done. They led last year through the COVID crisis. Uh, they, you know, lead on the field as far as product recruiting, guys sent to the NFL. Uh, I think the conference is in good standing, and I think the conference will continue to lead even as far as five years down the road. They're going to continue to lead college sports. Making our way down into the Mississippi uh, state of. Uh, it, it's really exciting to watch. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm right across the border in Memphis. I'm excited about Ole Miss and Mississippi State football this year. But let's just start off with Southern Miss. What do you expect to see out of the Golden Eagles this year? And is a bowl game on the horizon for Southern Miss fans? I think a bowl game is on the horizon. Uh, Will Hall has, has put a ton of energy back into that program. There was energy that had, had really kind of died out uh, in, inside that program. And, you know, Southern Miss is an interesting dynamic because – you know, Southern Miss, when you go back into the 1980s and the 1990s, Southern Miss was, uh, you know, one of the one of the bigger players as far as if you wanted to even call it group of five teams, and we didn't even classify as that back then. They played in the old Metro Conference in basketball. They were independent in football. And, you know, when teams started, di- you know, divvying up on conferences when Louisville went to the Big East and, you know, Memphis was going here and there, and, and a lot of that, of course, was driven by the television markets, not necessarily the, the teams on the field. But Southern Miss, of course, obviously ended up in Conference USA. And, and forever, Southern Miss could find those, quote-unquote, diamond in the roughs. But that's guys that, you know, got under-recruited or undervalued. That is that is not happening anymore because of the, you know, the rise of teams like Troy, Louisiana Tech, Louisiana Monroe, uh, South Alabama, Lafayette. You know, there's, there's a lot of teams now out there that are vying for the same talent. And then, of course, with the event of Huddle, and, you know, you get 247sports.com. There's no diamonds on the rough. Rarely does that happen. So Southern Miss is having a scratch and claw, and what Will Hall has been able to do is come back into the state of Mississippi and say, hey, we are a place for Mississippi kids to come play. State Ole Miss can only sign so many. So he goes out and he gets Ty Keyes, who was one of the better quarterbacks in the state of Mississippi, played down at Taylorsville. He's got, uh, you know, Frank Gore Jr. on that team. I think he's one of the more undervalued running backs in the country this year. 
And I think this is going to be a fun team to watch. I've got Southern Miss going seven and five this year, getting to a bowl game. And and I think with the energy that Will Hall has put in there, what he's got to do is continue to keep that energy high. And then he's got to get a buy-in from the Southern Miss alum. Uh, They still need some facility upgrades. They did some nice renovations to the stadium down there at the Rock. Uh, especially, I believe that's on the south end of the of the end zone or south end of the stadium. If I got my directions right, so I mean they've done some nice things. They've just got to continue to you know solicit for dollars, continue to upgrade facilities. Um, I think Will Hall is a perfect fit for Southern Miss, and I think that you know there are brighter days ahead in Hattiesburg for the Eagles. State in the state of Mississippi, heading north just a little bit to Starkville, Mississippi. Right now, on your website on the CFB Hourglass, you have Mississippi State at six and six, three and five in the SEC. What do you expect out of the Bulldogs? Because a lot of people are carefully optimistic, cautiously optimistic about Mike Leach and his team this year. Well, you know, start defensively. Uh, they, they've got a really nice defense. It's it's not a defense that it's going to get off the bus and they're going to scare you. You know, I mean, this isn't uh, an Alabama defense or a Georgia defense or a Florida Gator. Where, you know, Florida wasn't going to get a defense last year, but. They don't look the part of an elite defense, but they've got some really nice players. They probably got, you know, two of the better corners in the country, uh, you know, coming back this year when you're talking about, you know, Emmanuel Forbes and Martin Emerson. Uh, those guys can absolutely play. Both of those guys will probably play on the next level. You know, they've got some nice guys uh, on the second level and Aaron Brule, uh, linebacker, and also Tyrus Wheat. They've got some guys on, on the defensive front. You know, Randy Charlton is a guy that I'm sure you're familiar with that played at Central Florida who – at the transfer portal, and, and uh, he's expected to do some nice things. The thing for Mississippi State is depth on defense. Is, you know, the first 11 is going to play well, like a lot of people. It's just what does that second level of defense look like if there's an injury or somebody needs to be spelled? Defensively, they should be pretty good. Offensively, you know, we've seen Mike Leach. It, it's taken him everywhere he's been from, you know, Texas Tech to Washington State a couple of years to really get this thing going. And, and last year, like everybody, Mississippi State didn't have a spring practice. Um, you know, they brought in K.J. Costello. He had the monster game against LSU. But there were problems in the locker room. You know, there was some dissension with Kylan Hill and some other players. For whatever reason, they could never get on the same page as Mike Leach and their staff. So Mississippi State went younger. Um, they had to get better on the offensive front. They had to find playmakers. I mean, you know, Gardner Minshew, who, uh, you know, is from the state of Mississippi and a friend of mine, you know, he told me when he was at Washington State, they had 11 guys that they could, they could rotate in and out of wide receiver and never drop off 1 to 11. Mississippi State didn't have that luxury last year, and they've added some really nice pass catchers. They got a transfer from, from California um, in uh, Makai Polk, and they've also got a transfer from Washington State. They've got guys that are a year older, like Jaden Wally, who ended up being an all-freshman SEC player last year. So there's players around this team now, um, and, you know, albeit this is not a finished product, Will Rogers is in year two at quarterback, so he's had some time in the system. I expect this team to be much better, much improved. But again, six and six looks to be the ceiling because you're in a in a division, as everybody knows, where you're going to be playing elite recruiters week in and week out. The talent rolled out on the field is going to be you know better than yours. So Mike Leach and, and Mississippi State, they're going to play really well defensively, and they're going to have to out-scheme some people. I would expect Mississippi State maybe to grab a win that they shouldn't, and Mike Leach has a tendency to – lose a ball game that he shouldn't. And the first three ball games are key for Mississippi State's season. Playing Louisiana Tech, they're a 23-and-a-half-point favorite next week. They should win that game. But then they have two back-to-back games that I think really swings their season one way or the other. They, they host NC State, and then they travel up there to play Memphis in the Liberty Bowl. And I have told all our listeners, look, you know, Memphis is a really good football team. 
Ole Miss found that out a couple of years ago, went up there and lost a ball game in Liberty Bowl Stadium. So those two ball games, I think, could swing the season. If they, if they lose one or two of those games, this is going to turn really south. If they win one or two, then I think this is a 6-16 six and six team or a team that p- could possibly go 7-5. and five. It should be a much improved team, though, for Mike Leach. You've mentioned Memphis. Before we talk about Ole Miss and quickly talk about Juco, i got to ask you about Memphis because Memphis has come into the state of Mississippi and recruited very well. they got Kenny Gainwell to Yazoo City, Mississippi. they got now the running back Rodriguez-Clark and several others from the state of Mississippi. Has Memphis really developed a pipeline into the state of Mississippi? And how do people in the state feel about Memphis coming in there and getting those homegrown talent boys? Well, you know, I had this conversation with several people a couple weeks ago. Um, just talking about, you know, recruiting and the landscapes of recruiting. And I, I think what you're seeing now, you know, used to, I can remember Ed Orgeron, when he was at Ole Miss, he made the old joke, hey, we're going to build a fence around Memphis. And, you know, in recruiting. And you used to could build fences around your your state, so to speak. I mean, if you were a kid from Mississippi, you were probably going to go to state or Ole Miss. If you are a kid inside the state of Tennessee, you were going to go to Tennessee or you might go to Memphis or Vanderbilt. But those lines are have blurred now due to, you know, everybody's on TV. Everybody has better facilities, and people have realized, kids have realized, I don't necessarily have to go to Alabama or Georgia, or if I'm in the state of Mississippi, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, to, to get to the NFL. I can be a, a, a Kenneth Gainwell, go to Memphis, put up monster numbers, have a good time, win a lot of ball games, and, and play in the NFL. And I think that's what you're seeing now is it's kids have gotten more savvy, parents have gotten more savvy, high school coaches have gotten more savvy, and if – you know, the way now recruiting has, has taken off to where kids are recruiting it, or excuse me, kids are committing at such an early stage of their careers now, 10th grade, 11th grade, early portions of their senior year, early signing period in December. If they're not getting offers from State Ole Miss, then they're going to look to other places because they see other people doing it and they can go play. I mean, look, Jaden Molly's brother, who they played down at the Aberville High School, he is headed to uh, Minnesota to play for P.J. Fleck. So, I don't think that the lines are here anymore. I think people have accepted that, and people realize. I mean, you look at you look at Arkansas. KJ Jefferson was right out of the state of Mississippi. He's now the starting quarterback for the University of Arkansas. So call that possibly a miss by some of the Mississippi schools, but I think kids have realized they don't have to stay here, and it's not just this state; it's others. They can go play at other places and be productive and head to the NFL. I've got to ask you about Ole Miss this year because a lot of people have Ole Miss listed as possibly finishing second or third in the SEC West. You have them at 7-5, and 3-5 and five in the SEC, and also the hype train for Matt Corral is unbelievable. It's something that I haven't seen out of an Ole Miss quarterback in years. What do you think of the Rebels, and how do you see this year playing out for Lane Kiffin? Very good offensively. That's an understatement. I mean, we, we know how good Matt Corral is. He throws arguably the best deep ball in the country. It's amazing to see what Jeff Levy and Lane Kiffin have, have been able to do with Matt Corral. Let's remember this time last year, Mitch, we were talking about John Rice Plumley being the quarterback, and that didn't happen. Um, Lane Kiffin found you know, what he wanted to find in, in Matt Corral, and last year he was able to take a guy like uh, you know Elijah Moore and build an offense around it and, and have an unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievably successful excuse me, offense in Oxford. And I think this year it's going to be even better because you have so many playmakers uh, you know, with, with Jayon Ailey at running back, you know, you get uh, Jonathan Mingo, who's a year older, Braylon Sanders is back for another year. And, and Lane Kiffin said as much just a couple weeks ago, he felt like he had first-round potential at wide receiver. So offensively, 
unless Matt Corral has a ball game like LSU last year, Arkansas, where he throws five or six picks, this could be a really good offense. It's just going to come down to the defense and how much better this defense is. Because let's remember last year, one stop against Alabama, they probably beat Alabama at Oxford. I mean, they had Alabama on their heels. They just couldn't make a stop. The reason I have Ole Miss, they're seven and five, is because of the schedule. You know, the schedule is, you know, for me, it's 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 who you play, when you play them, and who you play before and after. And, and you look at Ole Miss's schedule. I mean, there's there's a, a point in time in there at Alabama, Arkansas, at Tennessee, LSU, at Auburn, and that stretch right there. Most SEC teams are going to play a stretch like that. When you're talking about, you know, really getting up emotionally for Alabama and then having to turn right around and play an Arkansas team that's going to be much better. And Arkansas and Ole Miss have played some extremely fun battles over the years. That's going to be a tough ball game. And then you got to go on the road to Tennessee, which is no cupcake. Uh, that's going to be a much improved team. And then turn around and play LSU and Auburn. I, I just think the schedule doesn't line up for Ole Miss. Uh, they would have to really stay healthy play better defensively, and then they got to go grab a couple games that they're not supposed to grab. They very well could end up with a, you know, a, a nine-win football team, but I think this thing probably settles out around 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. Lastly, I want to ask you about JUCO football in the state of Mississippi. I, before we got on the show, I was telling him I'm a brand new to the JUCO scene of uh, college football in the state of Mississippi. Northwest opens up with Colin, and obviously everybody knows of East Mississippi uh, because of Last Chance U. What is JUCO football like in the state of Mississippi, and what can fans like myself who are not from the state expect from JUCO football? JUCO football has always been rich here in the state of Mississippi, and, and t- today it's better than it's ever been. You know, Jackie Sherrill, back in the early 90s, made a living on Mississippi JUCO talent. I mean, tons of guys went, you know, Fred Smoot played uh, for the Washington Redskins. he come from the Mississippi JUCO. Scott Westerfield, who was an All-American kicker at Mississippi State, he came out of Heinz Community College. Uh, Kevin Prentice, who you know had a, a, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember this, but a punt return in the SEC title game against Tennessee, he came out of high. There's just so many players that that Jackie Sherrill, you know, built his team on. Uh, outside of some other guys in the state of Georgia and uh, elsewhere, but he built his team on Mississippi Junior College, Kansas State back in the same time frame, late '90s, built their team on you know Kansas and Mississippi Junior College players. So. We've seen JUCO players, uh, you know, come through the state of Mississippi and, and go on to have unbelievably successful seasons. Brad Banks, who uh, played at Heinz Community College, quarterback, went on to the University of Iowa and was a Heisman Trophy runner-up back in the early 2000s. So Mississippi Junior College uh, football is as good as it's ever been. I mean, you get down into, you know, even down at Gulf Coast Community College, several of those players have gone on to play. I believe Mount Cody played down there when he played at Alabama. Prior to that, he played at Gulf Coast. So. You know, the Mississippi Junior College system is a place where if guys don't have the grades or they hit the transfer portal and want to reboot, the coaching is extremely, extremely good. And the, you know, the facilities have gotten much better. Um, I would say that anybody that watches the Mississippi Junior College circuit, they're going to have a really good brand of football. It's going to be a lot of high-end players. And you're going to remember some of those names later on because you're going to say, hey, that guy's playing on Sundays. I remember him when he played junior college football in Mississippi. It happens every year, and it will happen again this year. Who are a couple teams to watch out for for people like myself? I think, obviously, you have to look at East Mississippi. They've set the bar. Uh, that you know They continue to just punch out unbelievable talent. I think Gulf Coast is a team that you, you look at. You know, uh, Northeast won uh, the national championship back just five or six years ago when Gardner Minchie was there. So, you know, you go through your Northeast and your Colins, Hines Community College has kind of dipped, but they, they're on the way back. 
Um, and, and let's remember, this is very hard for these coaches to recruit because they're on a two-year cycle, not a four-year cycle. So, you know, they lose a, a group of kids, um, you know, this year, they got to turn around and grab a whole other group of kids. So half their roster depletes. So, but no, to answer your question, East Mississippi, Northeast, uh, you know, Southwest, most of the teams, if, if there's, you know, 12, 13, 14 teams, about half of those teams are going to be, you know, pretty well loaded. Look at Holmes Community College as well in, in Goodman. They have put out a really good product over the last several years, played in a couple bowl games as well. So, uh, you know, top to bottom, it's it's as good a football that's not Division One that you're going to get. He is Jake Wimberly. Jake, tell them where they can find all of your amazing work you do down there in Jackson, Mississippi. Hey, you can find my uh, website, cfbhourglass.com. Uh, we do some high school stuff on there, college football, tons of college football, and, and uh, just some outside-the-line stuff. I'm on Twitter at Jake Wim. Uh, if you still uh, are on the uh, ever-burning platform that is Twitter, at Jake Wim. And, of course, uh, if you're down in Mississippi, we're on 105.9 The Zone. We've got uh, local shows all day long. And, of course, 106.3 The Fan, we're over there as well. So two sports stations under the same roof right here in the great state of Mississippi. Jake, thank you so much for coming on the Mitch Davis Show today. Mitch, appreciate it. You have been listening to the Mitch Davis Show podcast. I've been your host, Mitch Davis. A very special thank you to Jake Wimberly for coming on the podcast that is talk all things college football in the state of Mississippi from Ole Miss, Southern Miss, Mississippi State, and the JUCO realm of college football there in the SIP. Be sure you check me out on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore rate, Instagram, The Mitch Davis Show. Also check out the website, themitchdavisshow.com, and you can find the podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcast by simply typing in The Mitch Davis Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you all have a great week as we all get excited about the Week Zero college football matchups this Saturday.